Well, good morning. How's Ecclesiastes treating you? Uh, some of you are lying. <laughs> no, it's been good. I'm, it's been good for me to be in the book and to study the book and teach through it. But it's also some, sometimes a struggle, isn't it? Because Ecclesiastes surprises people. It says things you don't expect to hear from the Bible. There's kind of a shock value in some of the things that the Solomon, the teacher, says. The, the opening words of the book are a good example of, of how surprising this book can be. Remember the opening words. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And that's how he begins the book. We've already talked about that, but that's how he begins the book. Solomon, a wise man who had everything, found out that he had nothing. People are not only surprised by the message of the book, they're also surprised by how familiar the book sounds. Ecclesiastes has been called, perhaps, the most contemporary book in the Bible. We can relate to what it says. We see ourselves in the pages. We understand his struggles and what he's talking about. It's not a book that's always easy to follow. It is a book that's sometimes hard to interpret. But we can also relate to the disappointment that he feels as he writes about his struggle in life. Ecclesiastes kind of captures the futility and the frustration of trying to live life in a fallen world, trying to live life apart from God. That's what he means by under the sun, living life in a fallen world, living life apart from a relationship with God. But the question we're going to look at today is this, what about when life is over? Sooner or later, we all face the day of our death. The teacher, Solomon, has something surprising to say about that. In fact, he has a lot of surprising things to say about that. But let's start with this one. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, find that Old Testament book. Go to Psalms, go to the right. Go past Proverbs, you'll come to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, we've put it up on the screen. You can read along as, as I read it here. Here's how, he's, how he talks about death in chapter 7. He says, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. That sounds strange. That doesn't seem quite right to us. And then he goes on to say something else. It's better... To go to a house of mourning, and then to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. And then he says, the living should take this to heart. One of the fascinating things about this book is that it speaks so often about death. I did some research. I knew that it was in here a lot, but I was surprised as I did some more research this week and, and basically kind of read the book of Ecclesiastes again, just scanned my way through it. I discovered as I was reading through Ecclesiastes again that Solomon mentions death 11 out of 12 chapters. 11 out of 12 chapters. And the only chapter where he perhaps doesn't mention death, is chapter 10, but in verse 14, there is a verse there, a reference where he says, we don't know what comes after this, which could easily be a reference to death as well. But in at least 11 out of 12 chapters, maybe 12 out of 12, but at least 11 out of 12 chapters, he talks about death. He references 
the day of our death. And so we have to ask the question, why is Solomon, the wisest man in the world, why is he so fixated on death? Here's the reason. Look on the screen. Solomon understood that facing death has a way of making you face life. Facing death has a way of making you face life. Ecclesiastes teaches us lessons that most of us really would like to avoid. In fact, if someone said to you, hey, I just, just heard, I got, I got the word, Pastor Keith's going to be preaching on death this Sunday, probably some of you would say, I ain't going. That's the reason I didn't announce it ahead of time. Have you ever noticed we try not to even use the word dead? I mean, we, we go to great lengths not to use the word dead. We say things like, passed away, gone to a better place, sleeping in Jesus, he went home, or he, she went to be with the Lord. At least those are the words we use in church or at the funeral home. In less guarded moments, when we're not in those places, we talk about kicking the bucket, buying the farm, biting the dust, or the ever-popular croaked. In his poem, Graveyard, Sir John Betjeman wrote these words. He says, Oh, why do people waste their breath inventing dainty names for death? Good question. Why do people waste their breath inventing dainty names for death? Why is it that we really prefer not to use that word? Why is it that we try to avoid those names uh, or that, that word death? Well, I think, as I've studied throughout the book of Ecclesiastes this week, the reason that Solomon is so fixated on death is that he realized you can live your entire life gathering things in this life, spend your entire life gathering things in this life, and then death takes it all away. Spend your lifetime gathering things in this life, and then death takes it all away. I mean, just think of, of your money and your work and, let's see, your, your, the things that you do for fun, pleasure. Solomon said you, you can spend all of your life focusing on these things. You can give all of your life to trying to do these things. You just work, 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 work. You just uh, earn all you can earn. You just get all you can get. You just have all the fun that you want to have. Spend all of your time, all of your energy, all of your efforts in trying to experience everything life has to offer. And outside, it looks like we've accomplished something. Outside, it looks like we've, we've met our goals. But death... Death is the needle that reveals the truth. That all of that work you were giving yourself to, all of that pleasure you were giving yourself to, all of that money you were giving yourself to, it's all hevel. Remember the Hebrew word hevel? It's all empty. There's really not a whole lot there. Especially when you come to the end of life. See, some people assume that they're dissatisfied in life because they, they haven't yet arrived. And they think that the key to happiness is more. If I get more money, if I have more fun, if I give myself to more things, if I just try to get more and more and more, then that's when I'm going to finally experience meaning and purpose and happiness. And so 
We double down on our work. We double down on seeking pleasure. We double down on buying and projects. But really what we're doing is this. We just keep blowing up that balloon. And we just keep saying, you know, maybe this will help me. Maybe this will make it possible. Maybe this will allow me to get what I'm looking for. And so maybe another job will make me happy. Maybe a different wife will make me happy. Maybe a new home will make me happy. Maybe a raise will make me happy. Maybe, maybe, just maybe... If we have kids, that will give meaning to life. Or maybe if my kids ever move out, that will give meaning to life. And I'll be happy. And Solomon says, no. You can keep going after all of those things. Cover your ears. But it's empty. That's the last time I'm going to do that, just so you know, alright? Some of you sitting there like, oh, don't do it again. Solomon says, the problem is, The problem is not what we have achieved or not achieved. The problem is not have we arrived or not arrived. The problem is not the neighborhood we live in or that we don't live in. Solomon would say the problem is not the job you have or that you don't have. The the problem is not the size of your bank account. The problem is that all of those things we hope will give meaning and purpose to life mean nothing in death. All of those things that you hope will give happiness and purpose and meaning to life, mean nothing in death. So all through the book, all through the book, Solomon wrestles with the question, what's the point in life if it all ends in death? He looked at all of his wives. He looked at all of the palaces he had built. As he looked at all the money stacked up, as he walked his way through all of his accomplishments, Solomon is wrestling with this question. What is the point in life if it all ends in death? It's a good question. So he writes about it in this book. He struggles with that question throughout this book. And the problem, watch this. This, this is so interesting. The problem that we all face is, is where we're going after this life is over. And I'm not talking about heaven or hell. That's another sermon. That's another series. Solomon would say, you know, the big problem with all of this is where you're going. Again, I'm not talking about heaven or hell. You know where you're going? He's talking about the grave. And in fact, he addresses it in several different passages throughout this book. We only have time to maybe look at three different passages. So let's start with the first one here in chapter 2. Go to chapter 2. In chapter 2, he's talking about his pursuit of wisdom. Uh, And he talks about how he's trying to find purpose and meaning in life through wisdom. He's trying to think his way through life. And he thinks that maybe wisdom is the key to what he's been missing. But he shows us that death is is the inevitable end for all of us. That's the first point. Death is the inevitable end for all of us. Look how he describes it, beginning in verse 14. After talking about wisdom... 
He said, the wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. And what he means by that is, the wise man is looking around, the wise man is considering everything about life, but the fool walks in darkness. The fool doesn't consider these things. He's not really focused on anything. Then he says, but I came to realize, that is, I I thought my way through this. I, I didn't have this realization at first, but now I do. I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. That is, he said, I came to realize that whether you're wise or foolish, it really, in the end, it doesn't matter. The same fate overtakes them both. Verse 15, Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain but being wise? In other words, if I'm going to end up in the same place that the fool ends up, again, not heaven or hell, but the grave, if I'm going to end up in the same place where the fool ends up, then what is the gain in wisdom? I said in my heart, the second part of verse 15, I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not long be remembered. In days to come will be forgotten Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So the first thing that Solomon is teaching us about death is this. Death is the inevitable end for us all. Solomon realizes that even living wisely on this earth will not stop you from being placed in a box and placed in the ground. The permanent human problem that we all wrestle with is that death is facing us all. None of us is permanent. Nothing we do is permanent. And Solomon realized, wait a minute, they're going to one day plant me beside the village idiot and it's not going to be a whole lot of difference between me and him. We both have the same fate. We're both heading to the same place. So Solomon would say the problem with death, one of the problems is we're all heading to the same place. We're all heading to the grave. Death is the inevitable end for us all. And then it gets even worse in chapter 3 where he teaches us, secondly, if you're taking notes, he teaches us that death is the great equalizer. This passage that we're about to look at beginning in verse 18 really has a lot of shock value. It's one of those things you don't expect to read in the Bible. Here's what he says. Verse 18, I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that they may see that they are, that they are what? That they're like the animals. I'd like to think I'm a little bit higher than the animals, wouldn't you? But Solomon, look, look at the case that he makes. Verse 19. A man's fate, there's that phrase again. Again, talking about where we're going. Our ultimate destiny. Again, not heaven or hell, but the grave. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. In other words, don't read any more. Solomon says, not only is it that you've got the same fate as a, as a fool, you may be a wise man, but you've got the same fate as a fool. Then he says in the next chapter, and it's even worse than that, you have the same fate as the animals. In fact, your life is not a whole lot different from a rat or a cockroach. You're all going to the same place. You have the, I've preached 33 years, I don't know that I've ever said cockroach in, in the pulpit, but... He's making this point. Look at the text. It's it's exactly what he's talking about. 
Man's fate, verse 19, man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. That is, they're all going to the ground. They're all going to the grave. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Death is a great leveler of all living things. It's the great equalizer of all living things. Everything is meaningless if every life ends in the same place. And Solomon said, listen, it's not just that you and your friends are going to the same place, but the problem is you're going to the same place as the animal. Yesterday, just yesterday, I drive down Mount Airy Church Road and, and down on the right-hand side, there was a dead raccoon on the side of the road. When I saw that, I thought about this text. It's like, we're all going to the same place. Solomon, if he were to write in today's vernacular, would say, we're all roadkill. There's not a whole lot of difference. In fact, did you know that yesterday when I saw that dead raccoon, there was not one news reporter down there broadcasting that there's a dead Raccoon on the side of the road. There's no newspaper down there. there was, Channel 4 was not down there. Why? Because we understand that happens. They have life and then they don't. They're alive and then they're dead. They're here and then they're gone. They're animals. And Solomon says, same thing's going to happen to you. You're here and then you're not. You're alive and then you're dead. You're living and you're gone. Aren't you glad you came today? Isn't that just a word of encouragement to all of us? And then the third thing that he says about death is this. He says, death empties our hands. This will sound perhaps a little more familiar to you in chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. Chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, Solomon said, Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes... So he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is grievous evil. A man comes, as a man comes, so he departs. Now what does he gain since he toils for the wind? Solomon said, I want to tell you something. I've been thinking about this. And all of this money that I have collected, all of this money that I have made, one of the wealthiest men of his day, Solomon said, you know, I I realized how meaningless this is, how empty this is. And the reason it's so, oh, you might enjoy it right now, but the reason this is so meaningless, he said, is because ultimately, when I die, it's gone. My hands are empty. And I'm going to leave this life just like I entered it. Interesting thing is that Jesus told a very similar story to this story. If you want to put your finger in Ecclesiastes, you can go to Luke chapter 12, and Jesus told a parable about this very thing, building your life around accumulating things. And Jesus talked about how foolish that is. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter uh, between you? Then he said to them, 
Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. It does not consist in in gathering a lot of things. Then he says, and he told this parable, he told this story. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Let me ask you a question. In this story, where was his focus? His focus, of course, was on this life. His focus was on his work, on his job, uh, on his money, on his pleasure. His focus was on trying to live life as best as he could. And we understand that. But look what Jesus said about it. Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of goods laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This very night your hands will be emptied. And then what's going to happen with what you have gained? Verse 21, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. John Ortberg tells a story of going to his grandmother's house every summer. And one of the things that they did during that week that he was at his grandmother's house was play Monopoly. And his grandmother was very, very good at Monopoly. And she loved to play. And she always beat him. And I mean every day, every week that he was there, Every year that he went to Grandma's house, Grandma always beat him in Monopoly, and she loved doing it. She just loved stacking up the money and all the cards and everything. She just loved being the dominator of Monopoly. And she wouldn't let him win, and she beat him every time. One day, one summer, John Ortberg says, I finally beat Grandma in Monopoly. He said, I, I was so excited. I, I, I said, look, Grandma, look. Look at, look, at all of, look at all of the money. Look at all of the, the cards and the property. Look at all that I've done, Grandma. And she looked at him and said, John, now it's time to put it all back in the box. John, it always, eventually, goes back in the box. And he said, I don't want to put it back in the box. <laughs> I want to leave it out. I want to take a picture of it. I I want to set it up for the rest of the week. I want to glory in all that I've accomplished. She said, no, John. Eventually, it all has to go back in the box. He said, that was a great life lesson for me. And for us, for some of us, we haven't yet learned that. We think that if I can just get more, if I can grab hold of some more, but eventually it all goes back in the box and our hands are emptied. And sometimes... It all goes back in the box way too early, doesn't it? Just this week, I, I read the story of a, of a fine young man. And we'll put it on the screen for you. I was on Twitter, and I, I found this story of... Uh, the, the man's name is, is Babe, and I'm going to say his last name, try to, Loffenberg, Babe Loffenberg. He's the guy uh, in, in the left side of the picture getting ready to throw the football to his son, Babe Loffenberg was a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys many years ago. For the last 25 years, he's been a radio personality in, for the Dallas Cowboys, the radio network. A very well-known man, a very well-respected man uh, in northern 
Dallas, North Texas area. That's him on the left. He's throwing to his son, Luke. His son, Luke, wants to play college football, and this is what he tweeted this past Thursday. It was 98 degrees on July the 10th. Luke had lifted weights and was working on his routes. I love coaching him. Receptive to coaching. Two days later, he was told he had two to eight weeks to live. All he wanted in life was to play football. I watched the video that's connected to that tweet, and you can see Luke running two different routes. He's trying his best to get better and not realizing that just, just a couple of days after that, he'd be told he'd have two to eight weeks to live. Then there was another tweet, same day. Babe tweeted this out. Today we lost a son, a brother, a friend, and a warrior. I've never seen a person battle like Luke Laufenberg, but he lost his fight with cancer. It was truly inspirational. The hole in our hearts will never be filled. You're my hero. Rest in peace, sweet Luke. See you on the other side. Solomon would say, this is my point. Solomon would say, whether you're young or old, whether you are rich or poor, whether you're famous or not known at all, whether you're educated or not educated, we all face the same fate. And it is a foolish thing indeed to just focus on this life because this life is going to end. So the question that Solomon wrestles with throughout the book is then what? Then what? In fact, in one of the passages he says, I think it was the passage where he talks about the animals. He says, who knows if our spirit goes up or if it goes down. He's writing from an Old Testament perspective. He's writing, yes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but the revelation of the cross of Jesus had not yet been given. And so he's writing from an Old Testament perspective. He says, who knows? Who knows what's on the other side? Who knows what happens when we die? Who knows if we go up or if we go down? I mean, who really knows? We've never been on the other side. Nobody's ever come back to tell us, so so who knows? But thankfully, we're New Testament believers. We now know, don't we? Because there has been one who's been on the other side, and he came back from the grave. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, He has removed the sting of death. That we now have nothing to fear. If we know Christ is our Savior, we now have nothing to fear. And in fact, God has something great to offer us. And the thing that God has to offer us is not more money or more work or more pleasure or more stuff. The thing that God has to offer us now is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because He's the only one who's been on the other side and came back and said, now I can give you what I have. Let me show you a couple of scriptures and we'll be done. It's in the New Testament. Romans chapter 6. Both of these scriptures are going to be well known to most of you. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is what, church? Death. 
The reason death is in our world is because of the original sin of Adam and Eve. And God said, in the day that you sin, you will surely die. They ignored what God said. They experienced the separation of death. And eventually that sin nature was passed down to every generation after them and to us as well. And the Bible declares the wages of sin is death. And it's going to happen to all of us. It is the fate we all face and cannot change. The wages of sin is death. Thank the Lord that's not the rest of the verse. The wages of sin is death, but in contrast to that, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life. God said, listen, yes, you face the grave. We all are facing the grave. We all are heading there. We all have that same fate. The same fate as an animal. Yes, we all are facing that. But the gift of God is eternal life. Your body may die, but your spirit can live forever. And so Jesus describes the kind of life He offers us in John chapter 10, verse 10. If you want to go over to that one. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said these words. He says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I've come that those who are facing death may have life and have it to the full. And he wasn't just talking about life after death. He's talking about life in this life we're, we're living in and then life after death. They'll have life and have it to the full. I want to close by telling you the story of some monks. It was a, a group of monks, and this is a true story. They, uh, they live in a monastery, and they have an unusual habit. They, outside their monastery, they go out into a field, and they dig a grave together. Every monk is part of this. They dig a grave together. And part of their daily spiritual routine is that they walk out to the grave, and they all peer down into the grave as a reminder of their mortality, and then they go on about their day. And then when one of the monks die, they carry his body into that hole that they all dug. They place him down into the grave. They cover his body with dirt. Then they move over to down a little bit, and they all dig another hole. They all dig another grave. And they repeat the routine of going to that grave every day, peering down into the hole, not knowing who will be the next one to die. He said, man, that, that's morbid. That's, that's just morbid. No, I don't think it's morbid to discuss what is inevitable. I don't think it's morbid to discuss what is universal. I don't think it's morbid to discuss what is so profoundly important. And so we go back to Ecclesiastes 7, 1 and 2. And let me remind you how the verse 2 ends. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. The living, that's you and I, should take this to heart. I want to tell you something. If you agree with this, I want to say amen. We're going to close. Let's see if you agree with this. When you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you've settled that, you have a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. When you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the last day of your life is the best day of your life. When you take your last breath and you enter into the presence of God, there is nothing to fear.
There is nothing to run from. There is nothing to worry about. Because Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, have it eternally, have it full. So I want to ask you to bow your heads. I want to ask you a question. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Facing death has a way of making you face life. As you look at your life right now, do you have peace? Do you have certainty that you know the Lord? As you look at your life right now, do you have the certainty that that God is your Savior and that heaven is your home? If not, Solomon would say, how foolish to live your entire life and not prepare for what is inevitable. Solomon would say the only way to really find peace is to prepare to die. The only way to really live is to have the life of Jesus now in you. And so if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, today if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, that God raised Him from the grave, you'll place your faith in Christ. You can have that relationship as well. I pray that today as we're singing, you'll come and give your life to Jesus Christ. Or maybe you need to come to this altar and just pour your heart out about something God has spoken to you about this week. You're free to come. Father, in the name of Jesus, May you continue to speak. May you continue to work. May you continue to convince us that this life really has nothing to offer that is lasting. Jesus offers us life that is eternal. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.